Last week we talked about this idea of what happens when Jesus walks into the room. When Jesus walks into the room, peace is present. He would walk in and he would say, peace be with you, shalom. And it, was a, it's a, it was a greeting, but when, when the Prince of Peace says, peace be with you, I can guarantee you peace just walked into your life. Um, and then we talked about uh, when Jesus walks in the room, stay in the fight, don't run, don't leave. Remember he said, stay in Jerusalem, stay in the middle of it. Power is coming, it's just not here yet. Don't run, don't leave. We, sometimes we go through situations and we say, man, I don't see any miracles happening. I don't feel any power going on. But stay in the fight. Power is coming. Jesus is going to uh, come through just as he said he would. And, um, and then finally, he said, uh, we said, when Jesus steps into the room, make sure you believe. The whole point of John's gospel was about believing. It was about talking to people who hadn't seen, who hadn't heard, who, who maybe were struggling with their belief. And he said, believe, believe. Um, today, I kind of want to continue with this same idea. Uh, and I want to change it just a little bit and ask you uh, a, a question, and then we'll try to answer it. Because you see, I, I think Jesus uh, has a flair for the dramatic, there's something about Jesus he likes to, I don't know if he just likes to show off a little bit or what. I mean, think about it. Jesus could have gotten in the boat with the disciples, but he's, instead he decided to send them out in the storm so he could come walking on the water. Did you have to walk on the water, Jesus? Think about this. Jesus healed all different types of people, all different types of ways. But one guy, he spit in the dirt, made mud, put mud on his eyes just so he could heal him. Like, Jesus, was all that really necessary? Jesus, did you have to come into the temple with a bullwhip, kicking over tables and whipping people? I mean, I know you were upset and everything, but, you know, Jesus has a little bit of a flair for the dramatic. Jesus, did you have to let Lazarus lay in the grave for four days? I mean, you, you could have, we could have gotten there sooner, Jesus. You, you know all things. We could have known to go to, to go to Lazarus before he died. No, 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 no. Jesus has a flair for the dramatic. And we see this in his resurrection, too. Like, like Jesus just comes walking through walls. He didn't, like, wait for them when they got home and was sitting there at the table when they walked in. He made sure that all the doors were locked and the windows were locked, and they were all in the room, and he's just like, shh, shh, shh. peace be with you. What's up? Because you know, because you know they were scared to death when that happened. And you know, like, why is it that, that Jesus has this way, uh, he has this way of revealing himself, like all at one moment, like things are going along, they're rocking along, going good, going bad, whatever, and all of a sudden, boom, Jesus reveals himself. Watch what he says uh, right here, John chapter 20, verse 14. If you're there, say amen. amen. If you're watching online, thank you for being with us today. I hope that you'll get still and quiet, get ready to receive from God today. I've got a word for you. I want to encourage you from the word of God today. And, uh, and I want to pray for you at the end of the sermon. I believe God's going to touch your life. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 14. Watch this. This is Mary Magdalene at the grave. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Everybody say, did not know. Skip over one chapter to verse 1, chapter 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Skip down to verse 4 now. This is how Jesus did it. 
Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Everybody say it with me. Did not know. All right, let's go back to Luke chapter 24. One more verse. Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 15 and 16. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself, not like a figment, not like a spirit, not like an angel, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Watch what happened. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Here's what I want to ask you today. If Jesus walked into the room today, would you recognize him? Would you know him? If Jesus had been with you all along, would you know it? Mary, you're having a conversation with Jesus about Jesus missing and didn't even know him. I don't know why Jesus chose to reveal himself and not reveal himself in certain ways. There's a lot of things we could look at the, the, the entirety of Scripture and we can, we can glean some things. It's a question that I want to ask him when we get to heaven. Why did you do it this way? Uh, we do know this, that Jesus talked about in the parables how some things were hidden. Uh, the truth was hidden in parables for disciples to know, for followers to know, but for the rest of the world not to understand. So we know that God has this way of revealing and hiding things from us. And here's what I want today. Throughout the course of this sermon, I want to encourage you. And I want you to begin to see God revealing himself in your life. Before this sermon is over today, I want you to see how God has been working. And maybe you didn't know it. Maybe you were like Mary and you didn't recognize him. You, you didn't know it was him. Maybe the disciples, you, didn't, you couldn't tell it was him. But it was him all along. How about we pray today? Father, I thank you for your presence that we've already felt. I love you, Jesus. I love being with you. I love it when you walk into the room. Everything changes. Everything changes. God, we want you to know that you reign in this place and you reign in our lives, oh God. And we love you. We love you. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, our minds, and our spirits to hear from you and to be challenged by the power of your word. Jesus, may you reveal yourself to us today just as you did to Mary just as you did to the two followers on the road to Emmaus, just as you did to your disciples. Reveal yourself to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's start with this story about Mary. Mary is uh, one of the first to see Jesus. Um, we find her at the tomb in, in John chapter 20. She comes early in the morning and uh, she's crying. She's hurting. She's grieving. It's fascinating to me. She looks inside the tomb and there are two angels sitting there. She hardly responds to them. Now, I got to tell you, if I look into a closet and there's two angels sitting there, I'm going to be paying attention. But it gives us a glimpse into the mindset of Mary. She is grieving and weeping so much that she can't even comprehend the, and grasp what is going on. She walks out of the tomb after having this conversation with these guys. She looks up, and there's Jesus standing there. And, and watch what Jesus says. Let's read in verse uh, 14. Uh, having said this, she turned around, 
Uh, let's see. She said, having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. So she's out of the tomb now. Verse 15. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Now, this is two very important questions. Why are you weeping and whom are, whom are you seeking? First of all, again, G- Mary is hurting. Her Lord has died. If you've ever lost someone really close to you, you understand that, that, that weeping that comes from d- deep. And that's where she is. And she's just, she's just grieving and she's weeping. And then Jesus says, now, now remember, when Jesus starts asking questions, he knows the answer. Jesus asks questions to illuminate things in our life and for us to begin to use our rational minds and remember the things that he has already told us or the promises that he's already made. Think about it. I heard, I heard a story about a first grade kid went to school on the first day of school. He's a first grader. He came home. His mom said, hey, how was school today? He said, it was terrible. That teacher doesn't know anything. She said, what do you mean? That's your teacher. He goes, all she did all day was ask us questions. What's two plus two? What fruit is red? What shape has three sides? He said, mom, she's supposed to know the answer. Why is she asking me? I'm a first grader. You get the point that that asking questions is a mechanism used to teach something. So if you're going through your life and God and you feel the Holy Spirit start asking you questions, I assure you, God knows the answer. But he's wanting to incite something in you to inspire you to get your brain functioning. So, Mary, why are you weeping? Well, because my Lord is dead and now they've taken his body. Whom are you seeking? I'm seeking Jesus. I wonder at this moment, because Mary still doesn't recognize him until he says her name, Mary. I wonder how Jesus asked these questions. Was he being really sensitive? Like, why are you weeping? Whom is it that you're seeking? And then when he said her name, Mary. I, like, I don't know. If it was me, when I read this story, I read sarcasm. Because I'm a little bit sarcastic if you hadn't noticed that yet. And, and like I read Jesus walking over like, like, hey, woman. <laughs> Why are you crying? I'm seriously. Like, who are you seeking? <laughs> Mary's like, hey, my Lord, and they took him. If you'll just tell me where he went to. Like that <laughs> Mary, hello. <laughs> can you can you see that in the story? Can you see Jesus like uh, Mary? <laughs> I don't know how Jesus said Mary. I'm not. I, I, he's probably not nearly as sarcastic as I am, um, but he made me this way, so blame it on him. But anyway, <laughs> but somehow in this in this story, Jesus is trying to get Mary to look up from the midst of her emotions and her grief. Because here's the thing. Our emotions will cloud our judgment and they will cause us to have an inability to recognize Jesus when he's been there all along. Our emotions can lead us to wrong assumptions. She assumed that Jesus had been stolen rather than Jesus is trying to say, do you not remember what I said? Do you not remember that I told you I was going to rise again on the third day? It's the third day. My body's gone. And instead of going to what I said, every, I told you that this would happen. It happened. I told you that this would happen. It happened. I told you that the third thing would happen. But instead of believing the third thing I told you, you've got wrong assumptions because you couldn't see you through your grief and through your tears. 
our emotions can become noise that drowns out the voice of God in our lives. Going through difficult times. My heart is broken. I'm angry. I'm mad. And I'm upset. I'm frustrated. I'm bitter. And these emotions can drown out the voice of God in our life. And you could have been saying, God, where are you? And he's saying, Mary, I'm right here all along. But something about the way Jesus said her name. You know, uh, when I was growing up, my parents had different ways of saying my name, as I'm sure yours did for you. They have different ways of saying it. My dad, he always had a nickname for me, and no, you can't call me this. Um, but he would, he, all my life, he'd call me Roscoe, like Roscoe P. Coltrane, you know what I mean? And, uh, and so he'd call me Roscoe. Now, here's the good news. If he ever called me Roscoe, I knew that I was not in trouble. It was a statement that he was in a good mood, and we were probably doing something fun together. We were either working together, or we were in a good mood, or we were uh, playing baseball, or riding horses, or whatever. When he called me Roscoe, it was going to be okay. When he said, son, I'm about to learn something. Probably not something I want to learn, but I'm about to learn something. When he said my name, son, it's like, uh. Now, my mom, she uses my actual name. She, she calls me uh, Randon or son, and that's all good. But when she says Randon Marshall, run. Like, like don't even think about it. Don't, don't say, yes, ma'am. Don't try to be, not, no, no. D- just start running for the back pasture. I don't know how it is that, that Jesus said Mary's name. I, I honestly don't. We know that there were three Marys at the cross. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus. There was Mary Magdalene, who we see in this story. And there was Mary, the wife of Clopas, who was also at the cross. So we know that Jesus had at least three Marys, probably four. The other Mary is probably Mary, the sister of Lazarus. He had a lot of Marys in his life. But when Jesus said Mary Magdalene's name, something arrested inside of her. It cut right through all the emotions. It cut right through all the tears. It cut right through all the circumstances. And it grabbed her attention and she looked up and suddenly she saw him and she said, Rabbi or teacher. Emotions, difficulties, problems, anger, bitterness. It doesn't matter what the emotion is, but extreme emotions in our life can give us an inability to hear from God. They become noise. But when Jesus says your name, would you recognize his voice? Here's what Jesus had said. Here's what Jesus had said. He said, my sheep, they know my voice. They know my voice, my sheep, uh, they, and they respond to me. They follow me. They hear my voice. I know them, uh, and they follow me. One verse says they respond to me. You know why Mary recognized her name? Because she had long since been in relationship with Jesus. Mary had already spend, spent hours with Jesus. How many times had he said her name? Mary, 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 Mary. And so when he called it, it fought through all this stuff. Here's the thing. Make sure you have a relationship with Jesus because you will go through difficult times. And when you go through them, you need to make sure you can hear his voice when he calls your name. But you do that before the problem, not in the middle of the problem. 
you do that when things are good. You, you, Mary, you do that when he's feeding the 5,000. You do that when you're sitting on, on, on the side of the mountain and he's teaching from the Sermon on the Mount. You do that when you're sitting around the dinner table. You do that when you're building a relationship in the good times so that when you're in your lowest moment and he calls your name, the relationship is already built and you recognize his voice. Do you have a relationship with Jesus? So if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you may not be able to recognize his voice when he calls your name. And then I love this about Jesus. Mary, of course, and, and as you can imagine, her first instinct is she clings to Jesus. I mean, can't, don't, wouldn't it be, well, some of us might run and be like, oh, it's a ghost. No, Mary like clings to him and she's like, Rabbi. And Jesus says this, Mary, don't cling to me, but go and tell the other disciples to meet me in Galilee. See, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus wants to cut through your stuff, and he wants to help you, and he wants to reach you where you are. And then, but he, you, you can't just hang on to Jesus' feet all the time. You've got to go get busy and encourage someone else. This is the trap of people that really love Jesus. We want to cling so tightly to him that we don't ever go tell anyone else that he, you, hey, here's Jesus, I know him. Hey, Jesus is alive. Hey, Jesus wants to help you. This is what he did to me, he already spoke to me. Hey, I know a place, I know a man that can help you. I, I know the place where we can find the answers. Why don't you come and worship with me? Why don't you come and hear the word of God with me? Why don't you come, let me pray with you. We never go back and encourage anyone else. We just try to hang on. And, and Jesus said to good Christian people, I want to be involved in your life, but I need you to go gather others too so I can help them as well. I need you to go tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee. We've got more to do. We've got more people to reach. We've got more people to show up in. And, and so I need, you to, I need you to let go. When Jesus shows up in the middle of your stuff, it's okay to hug him for a minute. But the next thing he's going to do is probably give you instructions to go help someone else. Will you obey? Mary did. Will you? Well, the second story, and I'm, I'm going to uh, probably come back to this one later. Uh, the seven disciples, Peter and John and James and a few others, are sitting on the Sea of Tiberias, and they decide to go fishing. We read this in John 21. So they go fishing all night long. All night long, they're fishing, fishing, fishing. Now, these are professional fishermen, and they catch no fish. I don't mean like they caught a couple of fish. I mean they catch like no fish. So at dawn, Jesus shows up on the side of the shore and he says, Hey guys, did you catch anything? No, we didn't catch anything. They're 100 yards off, which is the length of a football field. So it's not too far. I mean, you know, you can, you can shout out there, Hey, did you see anything? Did you catch anything? No, we didn't, we didn't catch anything. Throw your nets on the right side of the boat. I was talking to my, uh, my sister yesterday and my nephew was struggling with his hitting. I said, before he gets in the box next time, tell him to pull both of his socks up a little tire, high, higher. She said, what do you mean? I said, you just got to change the mojo sometimes. Just pull, pull your socks up a little tire. It's just a baseball thing. You know, put your change in your other pocket when you're playing golf. And you're busy. you don't know. You don't know. Okay, whatever. I don't know what's wrong with y'all. Yeah, so there's Jesus. He says, uh, you know, it's not working on the left side. Flip it over to the right side. Can you imagine the conversation? Like, dude, this is not going to work. I don't know who this guy is on the shore. We're the fishermen. He didn't know what he's talking about. We've been here all night. Like these boats weren't, we're not talking about like a super tanker here where to go from one side of the boat to the other means you're crossing like 50 yards. We're talking about this is the left side and this is the right side. If you're going to catch a fish here, you're probably going to catch a fish here. Am I right? Throws the net in 153 fish. They're pulling it in. At this point, John looks up and realizes he says to Peter, 
is the Lord. It's the Lord. I love, I love this about Peter. Some things I understand about Peter, some things I don't. Peter dives right in. He's 100 yards off. 100 yards is a pretty good long swim. Peter dives right in. And he's swimming to Jesus. Now, what I think is hilarious about this story is, is Peter has, has stripped down to his shorts because he's working. But to go see Jesus, he puts his coat back on. So he can jump in the water and swim with more clothes on. But anyway, that's, I don't know, things, things to ask Peter when I see him at the pearly gate. So um, <laughs> he dives in. But here's the thing. They recognized Jesus when the miracle happened. They recognized Jesus when something took place that they knew was not them. Here's the thing. Jesus does miracles in our lives all the way through. But do we write them off to coincidence or do we give glory to God? Hey, do you say things like, well, I, you know, I don't know what happened. Well, that was weird. Uh, it was just a coincidence. Like, it, it, like, I don't know, it was the wildest thing. Or do you say, let me tell you what God did. Amen. Let me tell you what God did. Let me tell you. 153 fish. Now we can talk about why they needed the fish. and We can talk about what they did with the fish at the end of the day. They weren't catching anything. Jesus said, hey, let me reveal myself to you. Catch some fish. Jesus can show up in our lives. And if you look back, you'll see a series of little things that Jesus did. And you say, well, he hasn't been with me. And he's saying, man, I've been here all along. You just didn't give me credit for it. It was raining really bad in the storm the other day. And you didn't want to park way out in the back because you had your baby. And I opened up a front row parking spot at Walmart just for you. But you didn't give me the glory. <laughs> Has Jesus been involved in your life all the way through and you've been missing the signs? Let's go to the last one. And, um, and this is really where I want to encourage you. Uh, Luke chapter 24, an interesting story takes place. So it's resurrection day. In the morning, Mary and the other women, he appears to them. They come back and tell the disciples. Now these two guys, uh, Cleopas and one other, uh, follower of Jesus. These, these people were close enough. They weren't the 12 disciples but they were close enough that they were in the room when the women came back and said, we saw Jesus. All right. They decided to take a, a walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus. They're walking down the road to Emmaus. It's a seven mile journey. As they're walking, they're telling the story and the events of the day. And they're just kind of walking along and talking and uh, it, it, it just... You know, when something big happens, you know, both of you were there, both of you saw it, but you're going to have to talk about it for a while, right? And that's what's going on. Jesus shows up and in verse 17, he finds them looking sad. So not like they were talking about it, but just like Mary, they're sad. They're upset. And even though Mary came back and said, I saw him, he's alive. And, and her eyes were puffy, but she wasn't crying anymore. They were still sad. Their hope was gone. It was low. The Bible says that their eyes were kept from seeing Jesus, from recognizing him. In verse 16, they, their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So in the other two things, these two stories, it was Jesus, and they, but they did not know it. They, for some reason, for something that they were doing, they didn't know it. But in this specific situation, Jesus chose not to allow them to see him. You see, sometimes in our life, we don't see Jesus because we're looking for the wrong things or we're looking in the wrong places or we're not paying close enough attention. But sometimes in our life, we don't see Jesus because he's chosen to hide himself from us. And that's what's going on. 
So he shows up and he says, you know, again with the questions, you know, what are you guys talking about? And he said, what is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And again, I find myself wondering if Jesus had a sarcastic grin on his face. Like, you know, it happened to me. I'm pretty sure I know what was going on. But, and he said, I love it. What things? Like, like Jesus, you know what things? It was you on the cross. But he says, what things? So they, here's what happens. He says what things because he wants to establish where they are in their faith. Here's what they say. We're going to get a picture and a glimpse into where they are. Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some, of, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us at the tomb uh, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Interesting here. Jesus says, what things? He's trying to figure out where they are. And they say these words about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, mighty in word and deed. But we thought he was the one who redeemed us. But I guess not. Now, here's the thing. If you had said, at the end of my life, someone says of me, he was a prophet, mighty in word and deed, that would be a lofty, compliment but when you are the son of god you don't want to be called a prophet you want to be called the christ the disciples peter had already said thou art the christ the son of god here's what happens when he dies on the cross and now his body is missing we get this picture we thought that he was going to redeem us but i guess not They thought he was the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior of the world. But when it didn't happen like they thought it should happen, they reduced him back down. Well, I guess he's just a prophet. I mean, he's a mighty prophet. He's a great prophet. He did a lot of miracles. I saw it with my own eyes. But he's not the Redeemer of the world. How many times in our life have we been holding faith that Jesus was going to show up. He was going to heal our bodies. He was going to save our marriage. He was going to fix our finances. We weren't going to lose our home. We weren't going to lose our, our, our marriage or this or that, whatever it might be. And we were praying and praying and praying. And when it didn't happen like we thought, well, I guess Jesus isn't as strong as, he, as that preacher says he is. Or I guess Jesus doesn't love me as much as he loves other people. I guess Jesus just doesn't care about me as much as he does others. I guess Jesus just isn't in the miracle business anymore. And we take Jesus from being the miracle worker, from the Messiah, the Redeemer, the one who saves, the one who sets free, the one who delivers, and we bring him down and say, well, you know, he's good, but he's not that good. And that's what these guys have done. That's what these guys have done. Don't 
allow that to happen in your life. Don't allow doubt to slip in and start to bring God down. Verse 25, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. (coughs) Excuse me. I love this, what he says here in verse 25. Slow of heart to believe. You see, when our minds get caught up in understanding, when our minds get caught up in circumstances, in the details, and what we've seen, or maybe what we've not seen, and the things that are happening around us, it can cause our heart to be slow to believe or lose our belief. And this is very important. Here's what, here's what the Bible says in Proverbs 13 and 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So when things aren't going our way, like these guys, our heart gets sick. We start to lose our belief in God. Why is this important? Well, here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and watch this, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. There's this understanding that we have to get to that it's not just about what's going on in our mind it's not just about what we see with our eyes but what does our heart believe when i go through difficult times the circumstances say one thing but my heart can believe something totally different my eyes can see it one way but my heart can know something else But when it goes a long time and it doesn't happen, and maybe it's a year or two years or a decade or two decades, and it doesn't happen, the Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. When the heart gets sick, it's sick. It stops believing in what the Word of God says, and it starts believing what our eyes can see. Jesus said, you're slow of heart to believe slow of heart is your heart sick what does your heart believe but i love this in verse 32 after jesus opens the scripture to them they said to each other did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures jesus went to the source he said i don't want to fix your eyes first so i'm not going to allow you to see me i want to deal with the heart issue I can't reveal myself to your eyes because it may not fix a sick heart. So I'm going to preach to the sick heart and get it back where it's healthy, where it's believing, where it can see me and know and know something's burning in here. I don't fully know what's going on, but something is burning. Then when your eyes see you say, oh, my heart's been burning and I was believing it. I couldn't see it yet. I couldn't understand it yet. But now that my heart is believing, my eyes have the ability to see. And Jesus opened it. Isn't that the way Jesus does? us isn't that the way he wants to get our hearts believing again he wants to build that faith the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen and he wants to get our hearts full of faith so that when he reveals it you say oh yeah i knew it all along i didn't know how i couldn't explain it i didn't know where i didn't know when i didn't know what it was going to look like but something deep in my heart was burning that's why it's so important to get into the house of God regularly, especially in your down times. Why? Here's what they said. Didn't our hearts burn while He talked with us and while He opened the Scriptures to us? 
Here's, here's what I believe is going to happen throughout the course of this sermon. When we open the scriptures, there's something supernatural about preaching. It's not about me, but it's whoever is standing here. When we begin to open the word of God and we begin to preach the word of God to you, your circumstances may not change, but your heart starts burning and your faith starts being built. And when you walk out the door, it's not that the problem isn't waiting for you in the car. It's just simply that something has changed in here and you're encouraged and your faith is built and you say, you know what? God can do it. God has done it and He's going to do it for me. And if He promised it to me, His Word cannot come back void in my life. And so it's going to happen. It's why we have to get to the house of God so that our faith can get built. And when we have a sick heart, God can step in and do a little surgery. You say, well, Pastor Ren, and I'm here today, and I don't have a sick heart. Everything is good. You know what? That is wonderful. I am so happy. Thank goodness for where you are. But guess what? The person sitting right down the road from you, you don't know where they are. They may smile at you like they do every Sunday morning. They may, you ask them how things are going, and we give our patented answer. Oh, things are great, but on the inside, they're hurting, and they're broken, and their heart is sick. And maybe you're here today not so your heart could burn, but so that you could encourage someone else. Well, let me find my notes here. I'm just way out there. Now, even at this moment, even when their hearts started burning, they still didn't recognize Jesus. They didn't recognize Jesus until something happened. They, they asked him to stay, so he stays in verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Let's get down to verse 35. They run all the way back to Jerusalem. Seven miles. They had walked seven miles. Now they turned and ran straight back again. And, then, and here's what happened. They told them what had happened on the road. And how he was known to them. And the breaking of the bread. Mary recognized Jesus when he called her name. Something in his voice. Something in the way he said his name. Something in that relationship there. The disciples recognized him when they saw the miracle happen and they knew this is the miracle worker. But these followers, these two men on the road to Emmaus, maybe it was two men, maybe it was a husband and wife, whoever they were, they saw something in the breaking of the bread. They saw something in the pattern. Notice what he did. He took the bread. He blessed the bread. Then he broke it and then he gave it to them. And it's at that moment that their eyes were opened. The order is important. Maybe they flip back over to what they had heard from Matthew chapter 26. Verse 26. Watch what he says. Now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And then he gave it to his disciples as they had taken this as eat. For this, take and eat for this is my body. Something in the pattern here. He took the bread. He blessed the bread. He broke the bread. And then he gave the bread. They recognized Jesus. And isn't this the pattern of Jesus? Think back to the, the feeding of the 5,000. You find this in Matthew chapter 14, verse 19. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples. There's a pattern here that we see with Jesus. And isn't this the same pattern we see with God? Isn't this what God did with Jesus he took Jesus from heaven. 
He took him from his comfortable place. He blessed him on earth. He, he, uh, he sent a son and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And he blessed his ministry and he blessed his life. But then he broke him on the cross so that he could give him to you and I as salvation to the world. Isn't that the way God works? Well, if he works that way with Jesus, don't you figure he's worked that way with other men? As you study throughout Scripture, you can look at Joseph. Think about Joseph. He took him from the pit. He took him from his family. He blessed him in Potiphar's house. He was doing well. But then he broke him in prison so that he could give him as the prince of Egypt to save his family. How about another one? How about Moses? He took him from the river. He blessed him in Pharaoh's house. Gave him education, food to eat. He was blessed in every way. He was treated like a son. But then he broke him in the desert so that he could give him back to Israel as a deliverer to the people of God. Isn't that the way God works? Think about David. He took David from the field. He was shepherding. He was just doing his thing. He was watching over the sheep. But he took him out of an ordinary life. He blessed him as a general in Saul's kingdom. But he broke, them in, broke him in the caves while he was running for his life. And Saul was then trying to kill him. But he did that so he could give him as king over all the tribes of Israel who would be the one that would usher back in the Ark of the Covenant, the manifest presence of God on the earth. Don't you see a pattern of what God does? And if God did it with men and women in the Bible, don't you think He does it with us today? Don't you think He does the same thing in my life and your life? He snatches us from an ordinary life. He snatches us from the comfort of where we are, the comfort of what we know. He takes us, and then He blesses us. And things seem to be going well. Things seem to be going our way. But don't get comfortable in the blessing stage because the next step is He breaks us. And, and he, he does it to prove His sonship. He does it to prove that He loves us. He does it to, so that we learn more about Him. And then He gives us. He gives us to the world. He gives us out to make a difference. He gives us out to reach someone else. You see, we thought that broken disqualified us, but what God knows is that He never gives bread that hasn't been broken first. He never gives bread that hasn't... And here's the thing. Bread in the, in the Bible is, is symbolic of life and substance. So, so here's the thing. He's saying, I want you to be life to your world. I want, you to, I want you to go out and infect your world with life, but I can't do it until you've been broken. You can't be life to someone else until you've been broken first. He said, Pastor Ryan, I'm going through a difficult time and everything around me is just messed up and it's broken. You know what? God is just getting you ready to give you back, to make a difference, to be life to someone else, to be bread, to be substance. They're hanging on. They're waiting just for you. Don't hate the season that you're in. Walk through it. God loves you and He's leading you through because this is His pattern. He takes us from ordinary. We say, God, use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. So He takes us and then He starts blessing us and we're all into the blessing stage. We're all in. We're in Pharaoh's house and we're eating at the table of the king. But next thing you know, we're in the prison like Joseph, nobody likes the breaking point. But be encouraged. If you're being broken right now, God's going to bring you out. And He's getting you set up to give you to the world.
You said, I want to make a difference. God said, I'm just doing what you asked. You said, you want to be used by me. I'm just getting you ready to use you. No, I, I didn't think, God, that you could use me. You know, I, I've, I, I, I lost my business. What, what could I ever say to business owners? I'm just getting you ready. I'm just setting you up so that when I give you back, you've got a story. Uh, Pastor Randy, no one ever listened to me. My, my marriage failed. God's just setting you up. He's just setting you up. Walk, keep walking through. Keep walking through because you never know when you're going to be life to someone else. He's going to give you back. Well, Pastor Rennan, no, no one wants to listen to me and encourage them about their teenagers because my teenagers still don't love Jesus. Just, just keep walking through. Just keep walking through. This is what God does. Can you see yourself in that pattern anywhere? Where are you today? Which part of that story does your heart start burning? Are you in the phase where he's taken you from your life? Maybe you've just come to know him. Maybe you've just been in that stage where you're saying, Lord, use me. Do something with my life. I I don't want to just be ordinary anymore. And God's taken you from there. Maybe he's taken you out of your comfort zone. Maybe he's taken you out of your norm, what you know. Or maybe you're in the blessing stage. When you just wake up every morning smiling because everything is going your way. Enjoy it don't get comfortable I don't want to speak bad things over you but when you say God use me he's going to use you and this is what God does enjoy the blessing stage but when the breaking comes don't get down don't get gloomy don't let your hope go down don't let your heart get sick know that oh I recognize God you've been here with me all along you've been walking beside me you've been taking me through you're doing exactly what you said you were going to do I ask you to use me and you're just preparing me and know that when you come out he's going to give you back and you're going to make a difference if you can see yourself in the process here's what i want you to know he's been with you all along just because he's been hiding himself from you doesn't mean he hasn't been talking with you and helping you and encouraging you and speaking to your heart and teaching you about scripture doesn't mean that he hasn't been in the taking or the blessing or the breaking or the giving it just means you hadn't seen him yet Here's what I pray, that in this next moment, God reveal, would reveal himself to you, that you would know this, when he said in Matthew 28, and lo, I will be with you always. I don't know where you are today, but he's with you. I don't know what you're going through, but I can guarantee you he's with you. Not because I said it, but because he said it. I will be with you always, even till the end of the age. It's not the end of the age yet. That means He's with you. I want to encourage you today. He's with you. Maybe you haven't known it because you couldn't recognize Him. But He's with you today. I want to pray for you today and just encourage you. I especially want to pray for those that might be going through that breaking season, that difficult time. I want to pray with you. My heart goes out I've been there and I assure you that I will be there again but I want to encourage you he's with you he's with you in just a minute our host is going to come and then we'll open these altars at the end of the service but come and let us pray with you come and let some people who have gone through the breaking encourage you if your heart is sick be encouraged today be encouraged father I thank you that you sent your son Jesus and that you still want to be involved in our life. You're still showing up. 
You've walked into the room. I feel you even now, Lord. Lord, reveal yourself to your people today. Let us see how you've been working all along. Let us hear your voice today. I believe you're calling people's names right now. You're getting their attention through the midst of the emotions and the grief and the bitterness and the anger and the struggle and the confusion. You're getting their attention, God. But I thank you that you're showing people how you've been doing miracles all along and you've been with them. Father, I'm speaking to people today whose heart is sick, who they're slow of heart to believe. Encourage us today. Whatever part of we're in, whether we're in the taking or the blessing or the breaking or the giving, I encourage them in the name of Jesus. Let us see you. In your name we pray. Amen.